Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk. Well, please turn to the next page in the order of service or in your Bible to the book of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah. We're looking at Isaiah chapter 9 this morning, these wonderful verses, chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. While you find that or uh, turn turn to that, I want to just commend again this book, Andrew Randall's book, Following Jesus, The Essentials of Christian Discipleship. This is a book we've been selling uh, here at church these past few weeks. One copy for you, five pounds. And two copies is eight pounds. The idea is that you buy one and read it in the year ahead, but that you use this festive time as a way of giving a gift to somebody who you think might really benefit from reading this book. Some of our staff team have already worked through the book this year. Struan has been reading it with somebody. Will has just started reading it. All of us saying together what a truly wonderful book this is. And so I want to keep commending it to you. We ordered a hundred. I think there's only just a handful left at the back. Uh, so do make use of the chance today to get hold of it and pass it on. Uh, pass it on to people in the weeks ahead. Now let's hear God's word together. We're looking at themes from Handel's Messiah. And Isaiah 9 gives us the theme of God's government. Let's hear these beautiful words. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, all of these you have broken as on the day of Midian. The day of Midian was the famous battle with Gideon when all the odds were stacked against God's people. Surely nothing could be done. And yet God acted in incredible ways to save his people. For every boot of the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will all be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness. From this time forth and evermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. Friends, today and on Christmas Day, when we gather online, half past ten on Friday morning, Today and in that service, I want simply to speak about one word, one word, and it's there in verse 7, peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. This whole beautiful passage is about peace. 
you look at verse 6, just before verse 7, there are four titles given to this wonder child who is going to be born. And the last title is the climactic title. It's the overall title that should go over all of them. The, The one that sums everything up. He is the Prince of Peace. So we're thinking about peace today together in these moments. And Christmas Day, we'll look at it just a little bit more. And I don't think we can look at this word enough, can we? We need all that the Bible has to say about it. That's why we've got it today and on Christmas morning. We need all the Bible has to say about it. For I think if we're being honest, friends, here's the thing. Nothing makes us look harder or longer at whether Christmas is just a sick joke than peace. What do people say is the real meaning of Christmas? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. It's what we say and sing every year, isn't it? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. And if we're being honest, we want to say, don't we, really? How's that going in the world? Many of you will know, I'm sure, famously that on Christmas Day 1914, British and German soldiers put down their guns, the cannons, Stopped, and the soldiers left their trenches and exchanged gifts with one another. They laid down their arms and even played a football match together. Christmas Day, 1914. Peace on earth. Goodwill to men. And days later, the men went back to war. And in four years of fighting, over 10 million people died. Listen to Bono from U2, from his song, Peace on Earth. Heaven on earth, we need it now. I'm sick of all this hanging around, sick of the sorrow, sick of the pain. I'm sick of hearing again and again that there's going to be peace on earth. Jesus, can you take the time to throw a drowning man a line? Peace on earth. Tell the ones who hear no sound whose sons are living in the ground, peace on earth. No who's or why's, no one cries like a mother cries for peace on earth. She never got to say goodbye to see the color in his eyes. Now he's in the dirt, peace on earth. The words are sticking in my throat, peace on earth. I hear it every Christmas time. Friends, let me say today that God is saying to us from this passage, God is saying what Bono is sick of hearing, that there is going to be peace on earth. There is going to be peace on earth. God is saying it here in Isaiah chapter 9, 1 to 7. My job is to help us hear God saying it. I want to show you why it's true that there will be peace on earth, that God will make it possible. Once again, it's all there in verse 7. All there in verse 7. And friends, here's the surprise. The answer is government. Government. Rule. Someone in charge. What I want to do this morning is tell us what kind of government we need if we want peace. Some people say, don't they, I often hear this, people say, you need to leave politics out of church. Church is separate from politics. Don't don't talk about politics from the pulpit. 
I want to say very clearly, it is the exact opposite. Everything we are doing here today and everything we are about at Christmas time is politics. Who runs the world? That's the question, isn't it? Whose kingdom are we in? Whose jurisdiction are we under? We do not enter this building week by week and leave politics at the door. Now, yes, of course, it's true. God delegates authority to the state, doesn't he? We have earthly rulers who we have to submit to. But although they are over us, they are under God. And here we are together today under God, under his living word. Let me say to you today, whoever you're planning to vote for in May, whether you're going SMP or Labour or Tory or Lib Dems or Green, whether you're going for all of all of those, one of those happily, or whether you're going to pick one of those holding your nose, here we are today as Christ's people. And we need to say, don't we, loudly, clearly to the world that not one of those parties and not one of our government leaders, not one of our politicians will bring us peace. Do you believe that? I hope you do. Here's two things we need instead. Number one, we need government that breaks and burns. Number two, we need government that lifts and lasts. That's what you need this morning, government that breaks and government that burns. And you need government that lifts and that lasts. Let me show you them. Number one, you need government that breaks and burns. Just take what I've said is the the, the key idea in the chapter. Jesus, our king, prince of peace. How does he bring peace into the world? By breaking and by burning. Jesus breaks and burns. And I'm going to try and show you both of those. I think those words actually walk right off the text in front of us. Because here's the thing. The God of the Bible takes the pain of this world seriously. It's it's why something like Bono's song is so powerful, isn't it? He takes the pain of the world seriously. But God takes it even more seriously. God knows that for the gospel to be true and to really offer us hope and to actually be able to make a difference, the gospel we believe in, friends, has to be big enough and strong enough to deal with the terrible tragedies of the world we know that we see around us and that we live amongst. God is not here to just airbrush those things out of existence. Put, put shiny wrapping on them and put them under the tree and pretend they don't exist. No. The kind of world that Bono describes is the kind of world that Isaiah knows. And it is the kind of world that God sees. And it is the kind of world that you and I live in. See, chapter 9 is the good news that follows chapter 8's bad news. I don't know if you have, if you have a Bible, you might want to put your eyes on the last verses of chapter 8. Isaiah is predicting the people's exile from the land. If you look at chapter 8, the ending of chapter 8, it is like a promise of lockdown. That's what we're living in now, isn't it? I, I typed these friends, these words, friends, on Friday afternoon, and right in front of, me, front of me in my notes is, lockdown is probably coming in the new year. 
Listen to chapter 8, verse 21. They will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and speak contemptuously against their king and their God. They will turn their faces upward and they will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. That is what exile from the land will be like. Do you notice the progression? The people are going to roam, first of all, through the land. Then they will be looking outwards to the whole earth. And then finally, they will be thrust into outer darkness. It's people on a journey away from the promised land, flowing with milk and honey as the Assyrians arrive and deport them. It's a journey away from God and away from his presence. So much so that I think at the end of Isaiah chapter 8, Isaiah is saying that to be exiled from the land is like experiencing creation in reverse. Everything comes undone all the way back to, well, what was there in the beginning? Darkness and gloom. The earth was formless and empty. It's a a picture of uncreated chaos. But now with people living in the midst of it. And that, that, that outer darkness of exile, it's a picture, isn't it, of the people's inner darkness. You see that in verse 21? When they are hungry, outer darkness, they will be enraged and speak contemptuously against their king. Inner darkness. Enraged and cursing, bitter and wrathful. Here are people saying to God, what you have done to us, God, and the way you have treated us and where you have left us in our pain is unforgivable, and we hate you. Bible offers peace. Christmas morning, when we look at Luke chapter 2, the angels heralding peace from the sky to the shepherds, God is not blind to the real pain of the world. He's not blind to the real mess that we find ourselves in. God God is not a genial old granddad in the sky just doling out platitudes for the sake of it, as if we can all say to each other, peace, peace, when there is no peace. No, for, for Christmas to be good news, something has to fix this, doesn't it? Something has to fix this. So look what God does to fix it. Chapter 9, verse 1. What a beautiful word. But... But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. You get this in lots of places through the Bible. Terrible, terrible bad news. But now. But here is the change. Something amazing is going to happen. In this blackest and bleakest of situations, God is going to enter. And what is the main image in verses 1 and 2? It is light, verse 1. Verse 2, joy. I am going to send light into the world. I'm going to overturn and overcome death. Darkness in verses 1 and 2 is replaced by light, isn't it? Look at the imagery. Smallness is replaced by largesse. Barrenness replaced by harvest. Defeat is replaced by victory. See, death turns off the lights, doesn't it? Death casts long shadows everywhere. But imagine the threat of death and grief being removed once and for all. Imagine, imagine grief being lifted. Those mothers in the U2 song. 
Mothers who have buried their sons. Imagine light breaking into their hearts again. Look at verse 3. Think of farmers in the summer looking at full barns and overflowing vats, knowing that they are secure and they have income again for another year. Think of Armistice Day or VE Day. When the war is over, men divide the plunder. Think of all that joy. That is what God will do. Verses 2 and 3 are justly, rightly famous, aren't they, at Christmas time? But just read them yourself there. Take in the scale of what God is offering. For darkness, great light. For barrenness, great harvest. For great heartache and suffering, overflowing joy. Isn't that peace on earth? So how will God do it, friends? How will God do it? By breaking and burning. By breaking and burning. If you want to get verse 2 and verse 3 Something needs to be broken and something needs to be burned. Look at the way it works. Three times from verse 4 onwards, three times we have the little word for. Do you notice verse 4 begins with it? Verse 5 begins with it? Verse 6 begins with it. Light will come, verse 2. Joy will increase, verse 3. For, because. Here's why. Because you will break, verse 4. And you will burn, verse 5. See how it works? If you want the light in the darkness, someone is going to have to break the iron rod of oppression that led you into darkness. And if you want the joy of harvest and to divide the spoils, someone is going to have to burn the tools of war. Someone has to free you. And someone has to call a halt to hostilities. Now verses 4 and 5, as you look at them, with me. What these two verses are talking about is the end of the Assyrians. They were going to deport the people and leave them in darkness and literally put a yoke across their necks and oppress them. And of invading warriors were going to hold God's people in their iron grip. And Isaiah is looking forward to a day when God himself would put a stop to all of it. You want light, you want harvest. Here's why. Verse 4, 4, verse 5, 4. But look at verse 6, friends, the surprise in all of this. See, the, the, the scale of all of this has been wonderful, hasn't it? Darkness and gloom in the land removed and transformed. The people rejoicing, mighty oppressing forces broken. Their warfare will be halted. And how is God going to do it? A child is born. He gives a son. I think verse 6 is amazing if you've read down to verse 5. I'm not going to open the heavens and send fire. I'm not going to send a storm. I'm not going to rain down judgment. I'm not going to come to earth as the ancient of days to destroy and to conquer. I'm going to send a child. It's not what we were expecting, but it is the point of all of this. We're so used to it because of Christmas, but think about everything God has been saying in verses 1 to 5. I will do it by sending you a baby. I want to say to you, friends, this Christmas, I think I often say it, but I want to say it again. As you gather around the manger, friends, please never, ever believe the myth. It's really the kind of school 
school nativity play myth, isn't it? As you gather in the assembly hall, not this year, of course, but you gather in the assembly hall and the children are on the stage and everybody's got their cameras out. Never, ever believe the myth of gentle Jesus, meek and mild. If that's all he is to you, he is a baby come to break, come to burn. His winnowing fork is in his hand. Remember what we saw John the Baptist said a couple of weeks ago? His winnowing fork is in his hand to separate out wheat from chaff. He gathers the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he burns with unquenchable fire. Jesus came to break every rod of oppression, every instrument of darkness, every bit of evil that stalks the earth. What is Jesus doing through his life and teaching? Advancing the kingdom against the darkness, binding the strong man, casting out demons, releasing people from fear and sin and sickness and slavery. Every bit of evil that stalks the earth, God never, ever turns a blind eye to it. He will never leave his people downtrodden forever. And one day, more than this, friends, one day, every single piece of warfare will end. He will not just break oppression, verse 4. What will he do, verse 5? Every boot of the trampering, tramping warrior in battle tumult, every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. Did you know there were 46,973,000 pairs of boots issued during World War I? 46,973,000 soldier boots. What is Jesus going to do to them? Burn them. Remove the implements of war. Oh, we need government like this, don't we? We need rule like this. If we're going to live in a new world, a new creation, we don't just need the new one. We need to know that nothing bad is ever going to spoil it again. And Christmas says one day there will be peace on earth like that. Because Jesus is going to break and burn everything in it that needs to be broken. And he's going to remove from it everything in it that needs to be removed. Government that breaks and burns. But more than this, friends, number two, you need government that lifts and lasts. You need government that lifts and lasts. I want, I want you just to notice the beautiful contrast here. Twice in our passage, the word shoulder is used. Verse four is the first time. The yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder. The rod of his oppressor. I want you to imagine somebody on their way perhaps to death row, that, that wooden beam across their shoulder or the iron yoke around their neck. They're, they're enslaved and they're walking under a weight, carrying a weight on their shoulders. Some of you carried small children up a mountain. You know what it's like, the, the aching, the sweat, the agony, the, the relief as the weight is lifted from your shoulder. There, there is a kind of rule that crushes, that, that breaks, that oppresses. And Isaiah is saying, look, this child that comes is a king. And he's going to come and lift that unbearable rule off your shoulder. He's going to free you from oppression. And what's he going to do? He's going to place the weight of running the world on his shoulders. 
See how it works. Verse 6. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. You've seen that picture of Atlas, haven't you? The, the mythical giant carrying the whole world on his back. Well, when this child comes, when Jesus is born, Isaiah is saying, God is going to lift off your shoulder, bad rule, and he's going to place on Jesus' shoulder, good rule, perfect government. That, that's what government on his shoulder means. It's a symbol of bearing rule. Isn't it a beautiful change from verse 4? His people's shoulders are released and he is going to shoulder the burden. Now from here to the end, verse 7, I think Isaiah himself must have been amazed at the words God was giving him to speak. For there has never, ever been a king like this on earth. Four titles here for this wonder child, wonderful counselor. Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Each of those titles overcomes some part of the darkness that the people were living in. Each of them stretches the normal limits of human kingship. Just just look at them with me. Wonderful Counselor. Literally, it means something like Wonder Counselor. It, it points to this this child having supernatural wisdom. Jesus in the temple. 12, amazing his teachers, astonished at his wisdom, a child counseling a grandfather. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? The decisions of a king make or break a kingdom, don't they? I think wherever you are in the political spectrum, none of us, not one of us would envy our political leaders right now, would we? Wherever we are, I hope there's sympathy in your heart for all our political leaders if, I, I think if we think we could do a better job, we're truly armchair politicians, aren't we? Wouldn't it be wonderful to have somebody who is a wonder counselor? Someone who never gets it wrong, never needs to ask for help, never left scratching their head in bewilderment, unsure of where to turn or what to do, not issuing one directive one day and changing it five days later. In this king's kingdom, there will be no more distress at his rule. Listen to one commentator. This king's instructions are right. His opinions are reliable. His advice is worth taking. His insights are penetrating. His decisions are wise. His perceptions are accurate. His judgments are trustworthy and true. Oh, I'd follow him. I'd follow him. I'd fall at his feet and say, your way only. I want to ask you, friends, today, are you listening to Jesus? Are you listening to his words? Some of us, I know, stopped watching the news months ago. Probably a good thing many ways. But whose word are you listening to? How much have you taken in this year? Are you better versed in COVID restrictions in tier two than you are in what Jesus says. I saw one of those cartoons. It was um, a cartoon saying, somebody sitting in a, the mastermind chair, what is your specialist subject? And the answer came back. Specialist subject is COVID restrictions, tier two, December 16th to 17th. They just mastered all the details. 
It's easy to be like that, isn't it? To be swamped with all the news and all the information coming our way. But the words of this king to have receded into the background. He is a wonder counselor. He is mighty God. That that word mighty God, it the, the meaning is literally he is warrior God. That's why he shatters yokes and breaks the rod. He is the ultimate general. Everlasting Father. In the Old Testament, the word Father points to concern for the helpless, care for his people, loving protection. You always get this with Jesus, don't you? Strength and protection and safety and care. The last one, Prince of Peace. Well, look at what Prince of Peace means, verse 7. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. I read someone who said, you know what's going on here in in these verses? It's not just that it is not just that Jesus lifts the weight from our shoulders and places it on his shoulders. More than that, he is lifting the crown from our heads and placing it on his head. He is the world's true king. Adam and Eve, given the mandate, weren't they, to be kings and queens of the earth, fill the earth, rule the earth. What have we done with it? Taken the divine mandate and served ourselves. All this language in the chapter about darkness chapter 8 the people are in darkness in the land because they are in the darkness of sin they have crowned themselves instead of God they've made themselves the ultimate standard of right and wrong I've been laughing out loud to the amusement of my children at the minute watching a new fragrance on uh, fragrance advert on tv for David Beckham have you seen that some of you might have seen it David Beckham's brought out a fragrance if you're wondering about last minute Christmas presents for somebody. And the advert make, has made me laugh out loud. Uh, you know, beautiful moody shots of David Beckham, black and white, and his voiceover. And what David Beckham says, as you're watching him uh, prance around on the screen, is he says, my belief is that there is no right or wrong. There is only what is right for you. You have to be true to yourself. It's literally what he says. There is no right or wrong. There is only what's right for you. You have to be true to yourself. And I I thought of going along to a shop to buy his fragrance and saying, whenever the cashier says, look, that'll be 300 pounds or whatever it is it costs. I thought of saying to him, no, I'll take it for 50p. Thank you. No right, no wrong. Only what's right for me. It's nonsense, isn't it? But it's, it's how we live. And I'm no different really from Beckham and you're not. We all spend our lives just wanting to do what is right for me. My way or the highway. And we keep the crown on our heads and we crush and wound and maim. People in our path suffer because we are the ones in the darkness. And to us in the darkness, God says, a child is born. A son is given and he lifts the crown off our heads. And God takes it off our heads and gives it to someone who can wear it. 
Someone who can bear the weight of it. Someone who can uphold the kingdom. What does verse 7 say? With justice and with righteousness. Friends, not only does his government lift from us what we need to be lifted, so too it lasts. It lasts. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. With justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. I read something by Jeremy Vine this week, uh, the radio uh, talk show host Jeremy Vine. He said that one thing I've noticed is that people keep saying 2020 is the worst year since X. And he said people tend to try and show how intellectual they are and how well read they are. They've come up with some really weird thing. 2020 is the worst year since something that happened in 1918 or something like that. He said, for me, 2020 has been the worst year since 2018 when my father died. The worst thing, the worst thing in this world is that nothing lasts. Nothing stays forever. Friends, today, even pandemics pass. Nothing lasts. Nothing stays apart from this king's kingdom. Apart from Jesus' rule. Apart from Jesus' gentle yoke. Apart from Jesus' light. Apart from his justice, his righteousness. Of these things there will be no end. Brothers and sisters, I want you to shelter inside that today. However you're feeling, whatever this particular moment of this particular year has brought you to, hide yourself in Christ within his kingdom. Oh, the strength of his kingdom, the breaking and burning of his kingdom that will purge this world once and for all. The beauty and joy and justice and righteousness of his kingdom. He rules the world. And so he will forever. Amen.